All right, well, uh, we continue in our journey to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you know, this week I was out and uh, I'm trying to do a little running, accomplish a race this year or something. So I was out doing a little bit of running. Inevitably, when I'm not running in Colorado Springs, what do you come across? Dog walkers. How many of you are dog walkers here? Colorado is a dog state. Colorado Springs is a dog city. It's amazing how dogs can go anywhere now. I mean, the stores, on planes, restaurants, uh, you know, they have pizza plus rice and all of this now. And, uh, you know, the amazing thing is, I think, the dogs have some senses and perceptions that are stronger than humans. Yesterday we were riding up uh, Howard Boulevard and that snow was coming in, and in front of us was a dog with his head out the window and tongue wagging. And put on my windshield wipers and other stuff that's flying from his tongue. Pretty happy dog. Uh, you know, humans, a human body, we, we perceive things mainly through uh, our sight. That's our strongest sense of, of perception. We have the smell, we have taste. Uh, and feel, and yeah, it's our sight that tends to be our strongest way of perceiving the world around us. Uh, for dogs, for humans, we have about, uh, on average, maybe about 5 million receptors or sensors in our nose uh, that help us smell. But uh, some dogs have upwards of 30 million sensors in their nose. And they smell a lot of stuff. But the thing is, we're in the same environment maybe as our dog is or our puppy is, and yet we, all the same things are there, and yet they may perceive more of us with that sense of smell. And because I had thought about that, I thought about the dog yesterday, that dog's taking quite a bit more than I am with his head out the window. Uh, and he tells us to smell everything, sense that we may come up on, they may know that there were other dogs there, there are flowers, and we tell us in the environment. As we walk through the gospel, you're just going to be talking about perception and how some people perceive more of what's around them than others. And uh, we began to talk last week about the idea of parables and how Jesus is beginning to tell stories to see who's perceiving who he is and who is struggling to perceive who Jesus is. And so we have all of the same elements present but do we perceive them equally just as a message or a statement uh, to be heard? Uh, sometimes it's frustrating. You, you may say something, and somebody may not hear you. Maybe like that old cell phone commercial. Uh, can you hear me now? Or you wonder if people really listen or understand what you're saying. You could type something, and somebody could read it, but without a context, they could take it any number of ways. So how do we understand and perceive uh, what is being communicated around us? And as we look at that, we're going to open up here. We're in Mark chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Gospel of Mark, uh, right near the back of your Bible, but it's between uh, Matthew and Luke. And so we're going to be in chapter 4. And as we do this, we're going to hear Jesus and he's a... Uh, actually got such a crowd around him that they put him in a boat and pushed him offshore a little bit so the people could hear him and, and see him. And uh, he could address the crowd that says, and again, he began to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him, 
So they got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. That's how he began. A summer went out to sell. So you see that listen there, it, made, uh, it has an explanation point to it. But that term there, the idea of listen is pay attention. As I think about it, it may be the crowds were murmuring, he was gathering, and Jesus says this quite often, or he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And throughout this chapter, the word listen is repeated over and over and over again. So I imagine he was out, he didn't have the left clear like him, he might have said, Listen up! And then began his teaching, getting their attention. Listen to what I have to say, it's pretty important. And he would begin to talk about what it means to listen and actually uh, to hear. It's a command to not just hear the words, but to perceive what Jesus has to say, to understand them correctly. And so uh, Jesus began to teach, and he began to teach uh, in the form of parables. A parable is a simple way for me is to place one thing alongside another for comparison. When Jesus did it, a parable was a story with intent. It was set in a context in the teaching, helping to either further explain or give understanding uh, to what he was trying to communicate, to give a better picture. Uh, I tried to do that right, but just a moment ago, I tried to do that with the illustration of the dog to help us understand perception. It's a common way of teaching. You know, when Jesus does it, there's a, a spiritual meaning, a simple thing that we're supposed to get to. Now, there's another term that I'll point out, and that is that uh, there's another term called an allegory. An allegory is also a story, but you may an allegory. Every element of the story has a uh, hidden meaning. So there's a story called Pilgrim's Progress, which is a famous story. Got a man named Pilgrim, and he's got a burden on his back, and he travels on a trail and goes through this place of despondence, and he meets people with charity and evangel and all these people with names. Each person, each place he goes represents something spiritual. In a parable, however, not everything has something hidden behind it. There's usually one simple key meaning within the elements of the story. And so we have to find that balance and understand, and thankfully in this one, Jesus tells us what it means today. Uh, and we don't want to over-analyze it, but we want to get to that simple main point that fits with what Jesus is trying to teach, the truth he's trying to bring out. Now if you look here in this passage and jump down to uh, verse 10, it says this, when he was alone with, uh, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve, Asked him about the parables. And he said to him, That you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is a parable. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So he's saying, This is why I teach in parables. I teach in parables because it helps us to discern. He is discerning and showing who truly understood. Are we beginning to grasp the kingdom of God and who Jesus truly is? And who was not understanding and grasping his teaching? So parables conceal or reveal Jesus' truths to a person depending on whether one's heart is open to hearing what they teach. 
So he wasn't doing it to trick people, but he was doing it to see who was present that perception to begin to understand who he is. And it was a way of also leading and teaching the disciples to understand the kingdom more as he would explain to them, okay, well, here's what this one meant, or here's what I meant by this, the point behind this parable. And so there are parables throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, and there are parables in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, there are fewer parables than most. So we'll encounter a few over the next few weeks. Um, now that parable is, is essential here, I think, this parable that we're going to look at today, it's vital to what we do here at Incline Church in the Wildwood area. It's vital to how we're supposed to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. It's called the foundational parable, and it is still applicable to us today. And it can answer, actually, degree some of the toughest things and questions we have about the gospel and about the people around us and those we love who we want to follow Jesus Christ and so he begins and he begins to say this he says the sower went out to sow in verse 3 and as he sowed some of the seed fell along the path and the birds became devoured other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it sprang up immediately since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And then the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. And then other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. He was ears to hear, but can hear. So if you can picture this, uh, get a picture in your mind of a, a farmer in the day, maybe had a sack over the side and some seed. Uh, they would have probably gone out and uh, tilled the field a little bit uh, and gotten it loosened up. But this is the type of seed that they were going and planting one at a time in a nice amount, like we do with some seed. Uh, they were going and walking along casting the seed. And so the seed was going to fall in different spots. And so it's describing maybe the path besides, beside the field, or maybe there's a path in the middle between where they tilled the ground and opened it up where some of the seed fell. They didn't have high-tech equipment like if you lived in the Midwest or seen some of the farming equipment. It would have taken a lot of work to get all the rocks and all the weeds out. They didn't have you know, miracle girl, they could come spray uh, to do that. They had to deal with things a lot differently. And so uh, you can get a picture of, and the people probably understood this, and his audience there listening would have a picture in their mind, yeah, this is how we go out on those fields of wheat that were everywhere that people walked through. This is how they got planted. And they understood this process. And they probably understood who were listening and like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I understand how some seed falls there. I know sometimes a farmer goes out, the birds are getting right behind him, uh, ready to swoop down and get a snack any time they can, and grab a seed and snatch it away. So it's a very vivid picture for the people who are in front of Jesus and listening to him and walking with him. And so as we look at this, uh, the disciples get him alone and then they say, What on earth? Was the meaning of that story? What, what are you saying about the kingdom of God? What are you trying uh, to teach 
details. And then this is one of the most straightforward and simple of the parables. And so Jesus begins to explain it to them and the reason why he taught it. Well, I think the problem he's addressing in this parable is the idea that some people um, were beginning to follow him and he was getting quite popular. And he's saying, as I go spread this good news and unveil who I am, you're going to see different responses to the message that I give. You're going to see different responses by people, and I want you to understand how those responses are going to come about and what those sort of responses are going to look like. And so, how will people respond to the gospel? And for us, this helps answer a question is, why is some people reaching the gospel? Why does it look like that person just was so excited about Jesus and then nothing happened? Two years later, they're back to the same old person. Why do these things happen? How do we know when somebody really responds? Why, why does that joy fade as people go back to those old patterns? So, we have a sower uh, who, in this case, is Jesus. He's the one bringing the message, bringing the good news himself, and he's getting the disciples around him <coughs> to understand what uh, that message is. And so, if we look at this, and we look at the different parts of uh, this story, we can understand this is in our parable we covered last week. The sower is Jesus initially, and then those who are called to follow him and share the gospel message. The sow is to cast the seed of the gospel, and the gospel is this. Jesus died, paying the penalty for our sin. He rose again, inviting us all to eternal life with God. That is the message that changes the world and changes our hearts. That is the seed. That is the good news. That is the life Jesus came to live. And what people would soon not understand what he was doing or what this Messiah's path was to die on a cross. They fully didn't understand yet as Jesus was beginning to prepare them for the road he had to walk. And so, as we look at this, uh, we have to understand that Jesus came and had that message of the gospel for us. And today, underlying all of this, the question for each of us is, are we going to respond to the gospel? How are we going to respond to the gospel? How do we understand the gospel to apply to our lives? And now, uh, the third element is soil. And, you know, our Bibles get labeled, have labels on them, lots of it's called the silver and the seed. Really, this is the story of soils. Soil is our heart. It's your emotions, where you make your decisions in life. It's what you believe. It's your character. That part of us that makes us human. And it's the hearts of people that will respond to the gospel. And ultimately, that's where we respond to the gospel. Everything else is kind of an evidence of what the gospel does in us. But the soils represent different hearts and heart responses to the Lord. So the Lord looks at the heart. In fact, um, I try to read a, a proverb a day, and uh, just because it's supposed, it is full of wisdom, and so it's supposed to make me wiser. So if you need wisdom, read pro a proverb that matches with the day. This morning I was reading that, and, and it said, you 
Now, silver uh, is refined, and then gold is refined in the furnace, and then God is the one who sees the heart and responds to the heart. God sees to our heart. Jesus understands hearts. Some amazing things that he teaches. He understands where people's heart is coming from and how the Holy Spirit is at work within the heart. So the first thing I think uh, that we notice here and that we, we look at is that the gospel message is a message to be scattered. It's not a seed to be taken and held on to for ourselves. If we have received the gospel, if you understand anything about seeds that grow, and then they drop off, and that's how we get other plants to grow around, seeds are meant to be scattered. The gospel is meant to be scattered and shared. The gospel is a message that we do not keep to ourselves, that God did not want to be kept to himself, but he wanted his disciples to go into all the world, making disciples. And then before he ascended to heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses. In other words, you will be the gospel carriers. You're the ones that are supposed to go and cast the seed. But we also need to understand that the gospel is indeed, I believe, the true message, the only message that one brings salvation and eternal life. And our souls long to have that eternal life in relationship. We know we're made for more than this. We try and fill our lives, our hearts, with so many things. But the gospel is indeed the one answer that we can give, that I can give, that can change the heart. They can change the life. You can see somebody going in one direction, do a full 180 and begin to follow the Lord and see true change within their lives. Do we believe that the gospel, this seed, is the only way? If so, then we should be scattering it to the world. So as we look at this, God uses different tools. To prepare the soil for the heart, uh, to hear the word, but it's always the gospel seed that must take root. And as farmers do, we must do the work of preparing the soil. But too many believers keep it in the set. And then we're missing out on the greatest joy that heaven experiences and that we can experience. Seeing somebody take hold of that seed and coming into eternal life. And so, as we walk through and look at this, I want to talk about Jesus' understanding here what each of these teaches. So, we're going to look at the type of heart, we're going to look at the response, and then I'm going to talk about what is the heart issue that teaching the gospel can take to root. So, the first is that Jesus talks about. The hard head. And so, as Jesus goes on to explain this, uh, he says this The sower sows the word, in verse 14. Uh, in verse 15, and these are the ones along the path. When the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word, so that what is sown uh, will snatch right away. And so, the idea is that the seed is cast, but Maybe somebody hears the gospel, they don't even take a moment to even think about what it means. They don't take a moment to uh, question it or ponder it. I call this a, a hardened heart. A hardened heart is one that 
angry at God, it could be, or just have everything figured out in the world, all the logic figured out. They don't need to take a moment to even listen to the gospel. And so that that heart doesn't get softened at all, they will distract us, or their mind will immediately go to something else, or dismiss it. There's no true consideration of the gospel. But I think the heart issue there is an issue of truth, of willing to actually honestly, intellectually engage with who Jesus Christ is. And we'll see this response more and more as people more and more begin to say, well, people who believe in this Jesus of the gospel are just racist. And then dismiss it. Or they'll say, not only are you crazy, but you are the problem with our world and society. And so there's a hatred there and then heart of sorrow. It could be somebody that has just been so hurt in their lives. But they don't want to hear any truth because the only truth they've ever known is abuse or struggle or pain or choices that inflict pain on themselves. There are many causes of a hard heart, but it's immediate rejection, not even consideration or conversation. The door of the heart is just slammed shut. The seed bounces off. That's the first response that we see. It's that, that rejection of the gospel. And then Jesus says, and these are the ones found on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. But they endure for a little while, then a tribulation, a persecution, life is tough on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. And so, uh, with this one, we have the rocky soil is scorched, and it's really trials and trials. And the trials come on account of the word of the gospel, but they're tied with their beliefs. And so it could be somebody who, um, I think there are two issues here at play, or a couple of issues. It could be uh, somebody who comes along, and perhaps the gospel was presented in such a way that it's a, we hear this all the time, you go to Jesus, you're going to get that better job. If you come to Jesus, then you're going to fix your relationships right away. Uh, your financial needs will be taken care of, and there's an equation there that Jesus is going to solve all these problems immediately and materially, and these temporary things around us are what are addressed by Jesus instead of the eternal. And then somebody follows the Lord, and they think they're making a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and then things get tough, or, or guess what? You don't win the lottery right away. You don't get all that money, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, this one's what I signed up for, I'm moving on. There's no root because there's no discussion of the interval in it. And so there's a mistake we can make in presenting the gospel in that way. But then there's also this mistake on the other side where people can have an emotional experience. The gospel can be presented clearly. There's an emotion in the moment. But then, you know what? Times get tough. He says, consider the cost of following. Count the cost. There is a cost. In our country, it's becoming more. Throughout history, the cost of following Jesus Christ has been pretty high. Families turning from their children, people losing jobs, real persecution, prison time around the Bible. And so, in many places in the world, you follow Jesus, and you have to say, I'm going to do 
by those trials, you're not endured them. Releasing our hearts fully to the Lord. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain here. He's saying, hey, there's no root. He hasn't gone deep. It hasn't penetrated. So it's just an initial response. And when things got tough, the toughness made them fade away and struggle. And the sprout shot up quickly. There was like there was hope, but then they struggled. Now, the next one is is the thorns and uh, he talks about it and he says in verse 18 and many others are the ones sown among the thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches the desiring for other things enter and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful and so as we look at this one thorns are choked, and it's a treasure issue. So with the rocky ground and trials were an issue, truly, do you really trust that Jesus has you covered with an issue? And here is a treasure issue. Do you really value Jesus Christ? Sometimes we come to the Lord, and, and you begin to follow the Lord, and yet, man, you worry about your job, and, and you worry about your reputation, and you get focused on making money or making that next purchase or all of these things begin to swallow us up and pretty soon it's what we would call religion so i dealt with this a lot in the south come to church on sunday but monday through saturday jesus had absolutely nothing to do with your life and you're going to be asked if you have ever made a disciple or asked to share the gospel the answer would be no you'd ask how has Jesus changed your life? You say, well, two hours on Sunday, I have a new schedule. I show up at a church. Or I may show up at a midweek activity, but really, I still handle my day-to-day activities. And so uh, that, that's one of the ways we begin to understand this idea of these thorns choking it out. And this one, to me, is the hardest one because you see something growing. And I don't know, if the, sometimes weeds choke out from underneath the surface. Sometimes they're up and amongst it. But it's over time. And so a lot of times it's hard to recognize, or it looks like somebody's doing okay. But really, there's heart issues that none of us can see, but the Lord sees. Uh, and so it's, it's hard to discern where people are at, isn't it, whenever you begin to see them. And, to see the world's pursuits over time begin to choke out that fruitfulness in the gospel. And so uh, Jesus said this, he said, those who love me and love my father, I know who they are because they obey me. And John 15 explains this, he says, you know, if you love me, I know you don't obey in order to earn my love, but it's a response to what I've done on the cross. And as you obey, then the Holy Spirit is released and you begin to bear much fruit. It's a process of response and growth. And if there's no obedience, they're just listening and taking in, taking in, then over time, our impact, our fruitfulness just shows out. Well, finally, it's that joy spot, that heavenly celebration of one soul being saved. There's a large gap here, and it's for 
planting, to growing, to showing, and bearing fruit. Uh, this is talking about sanctification or the word transformation, being changed. And bearing fruit happens both inwardly and outwardly. So uh, if you think of what Jesus is saying, bearing fruit, first the root goes deep. The root gets established so that the plant can be healthy and strong so that what goes above the ground can produce fruit. And so we see change in our lives through the gospel when that seed takes root. Uh, there's inward change that we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. God begins to deal with sin in our life and love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control begins to come from us when we see that personal transformation of our character. God changes who we are. And then there's outward fruit. Outward fruit is, once again, a work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts to build one another up, to serve one another, to encourage one another, pray for one another, teach one another. Have fellowship with one another. Share the gospel with one another and with those who don't know the Lord. So fruit looks quite a bit different for each person depending on your season of life. And sometimes that fruit takes a while to be seen on the surface of what God's doing in your heart. Getting out that soil, dealing with weeds, getting the rocks out of the way, getting the sin of dealing with it. Because over time, even our lives go up and down over time, we should look back and be able to see fruit that God is producing in our lives. So these, these are the picture that God has given us. There's more to say about this, and yet I wonder at this moment, we need to just hit pause and look at that. If you're like me, I first read this and I just think of other I think, oh, I know that guy, I bet he was like this or that. Sometimes I need to stop and just say, what is going on in my heart this morning? How is our heart dimming this morning with this? Sometimes it's good to not over-analyze and sit here and just get into academic mode and analyze, but actually to say, look, God, what's going on in my heart? Are the things in the world starting to creep in and choke out my love for you, should I not bear fruit? And am I being responsive and obeying? Obedience is what releases you to grow. Am I pursuing you personally? Am I casting that seed so others can grasp it? So, how are you handling possessions? How are you handling the trials of life? How are you handling pressure? Here's the truth that Jesus says. He looks at the crowds a little later on in the Gospels and he says, Some of you will be standing before me when I come to the great judgment. He said, Lord, I did all these things in your name. And people look at him and they'll say, I am you. Away from me for eternity. So it's a serious question, actually, when we ask, how is your heart doing with the Lord? And have you taken that seed? Has it taken root? Because Jesus said there will be people who walked around and were very religious and thought they had it all together, but they never really encountered Jesus personally. It was all on the surface. Things were choked out. There was no root beneath it. And I can tell you this, is that Jesus is the one that judges hearts. 
Um, the reality is, so this parable tells me, when the gospel seed happens and things begin to work, where does that happen first? The love of servants. So don't get discouraged. We don't know how somebody's going to respond to the gospel. I have not figured that out yet. What God's doing with the seed inside of person's heart. You don't know if you're the one that cast it at the time it was on rocky soil, but there's something that remained there. So the next person that comes and casts seed, the heart, the heart is a little bit soft. This is not a passage for us to use and go around and say, you were snatched, you're rocky soil. We're not supposed to go around and give this to beat down other people. And yet, in hindsight, I think sometimes we can look back and say, See what Jesus was saying here. I can see how that worked, either in your own life or in the life of somebody else who we shared with. You can say, Oh, I can kind of see this lived out in hindsight. But really, in the moment, it's kind of hard uh, to recognize what God is doing. But the reality is that our hearts change over time, and different hearts uh, can become harder. Some may have been softer towards the gospel and become harder, and some may grow softer over time. And you may be uh, number four, five, or six for sharing the gospel or, or casting that seed, but it's number seed number 12 when it comes to taste in that person's heart. So we have to keep this in mind and remember our role is obedience. We've got to trust God and the Holy Spirit to work with a person in their heart. And meet them where they're at. That's the mystery of all this, isn't it? That's where we talked about last week, but that's how it ties in where Jesus said, The farmer throws the seed and he comes and it grows and he doesn't know how. Because God's doing that work in the heart. That's the power of the gospel. It's not up to me to make the gospel more beautiful or convincing. The gospel is beautiful in and of itself. There's no change that needs to be made. So this passage, though, is also a tool for us to understand the obstacles to the gospel that people have, that we're going to encounter, to understand obstacles for our own spiritual growth. Trials are tough to walk through. Hard things in life, death, tragedy, disease that hits, accidents, violence against one another as human beings, uh, make it hard sometimes for people to trust in Jesus Christ. That's a barrier to the gospel. Things in this world, especially in the affluent country we live in, Jesus said, the hardest things for a rich man to let go of that and enter into the kingdom because they're trusting in themselves. And man, we see a lot of things to make us comfortable today, can we? And so we have that. We have trials and trust that come in and can help us understand and maybe be wise seeing how somebody is struggling to accept the gospel, we can begin to have conversations with them that begin to loosen some of the rocks or pull back some of those weeds. We can be a little smarter. Like Paul. Paul would go in and he was in the synagogue and religion was the that was staying in the way. And it hardened hearts. So he began to speak firmly about the truth of who Jesus is. On Athens, they had a worldly view of things so he started with, I see you have a statue to an unknown God. And then he brought it back to the gospel. So this can get educate us on how we're to live our mission. But basically, we've been talking about that. Um, why is the gospel better than our possessions? Why is the gospel our only hope? 
So in doing some reading, I came across the, just some key takeaways from different authors, such as Tim Keller and others. First is, response to the gospel is always a heart issue. You need to remember that. It's always a heart issue. It's not, did I share it perfectly? It's not on you. We are to share it, but it takes place in a person's heart. When we pray for people, we pray for their heart. All followers of Jesus are sowers, and then live a life that impacts the soil around you. Jesus said we're to love our neighbors. He thinks everything we do, we're supposed to obey, but we're to obey in showing love. Showing his love to others. The way we love others and serve others who are different from us, far from God, softens hearts. Love is the compost of sharing the gospel. It's the compost that softens the soil of the heart. That's one you can see. Love softens the heart. How we live and treat others matters. God uses that. Now, there used to be a saying, right, that I, I, I don't need to share the gospel, I show it. But now I love people, I say, yes, show it with all your might. But it is only the seed of the gospel that brings somebody into eternity. We can't say, well, I've been living such a kind life that somehow they're just going to come to know the Lord. Well, he may bring them to the Lord, but that's always going to be through the gospel message. Through Jesus Christ and the cross. And then, this is a conviction we have in time, church. We believe in disciple making. And disciple making means when somebody has responded to the gospel, we don't assume it's going to take root. We want to get with you personally, follow up with you. We want to invest in one another. It's our, our responsibility, and other passages say it, that some people plant, others water, and others harvest. But we're supposed to help somebody who's responded to the gospel so that they don't get choked out, so that they can get their root down, so we can say, hey, listen, Responded, but we got this trial. You can come to the Lord. Come alongside me. We have that role. This informs how we do discipleship. We want to follow up. And then we invest, but only God brings the harvest. We have to trust in Him. We have to rely on Him for this next step. So I ask you this morning what is your next step in this process? What is God stirring in your heart? We never know what's going on. There's a man who I traveled with who was a contemporary of Billy Graham. And uh, he was just flourishing and he was sharing the gospel. And this man, Charlie Templeton, in the late 1940s, began to look around at the world and have some tragedies happen in his life and he began to question the love of God. Soon he would write a book against God. He was angry. Heart became harder and harder. And then he was interviewed by Lee Strobel, the guy who wrote from that new the movie, The Case for Christ, came out last year. Uh, he was interviewed by him. And he shared all these reasons why he was angry. But then he came through and he said this statement. He said, Well, Jesus is the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. 
He was intrinsically the wisest person that I have ever encountered in my studies in my life, or even in my readings. He's the most important thing in my life. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I do adore him. Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. He says, I guess I have to put it this way, I really know him. Yet his heart remains hard. Then there's a man on the cross next to Jesus. He's on the cross for deserved guilty sins. He looked over, and in that moment he understood who Jesus was. And that gospel seed for the last moment before everybody thought, that will never take root in this guy. Well, the moment before his last breath, it took root. And he's with Jesus for eternity. And then there are those the stories we've heard, the Sunday school teacher who faithfully cast seed after seed with his rambunctious boys, wondering if there's any fruit ever there. Long after the Sunday school teacher dies, they research tells us that Billy Graham in that class. Well, somebody actually, somebody ministered and shared the gospel, then they went and shared the gospel to Billy Graham and went and shared the gospel to thousands upon thousands of we don't know what God's going to do with the seed we cast. He can change the world if we're faithful. We may never see whether that sprout comes up or not, and what happens with the sprout that we do or not. To God uses it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you uh, that you are indeed the one who is in control, and that the gospel changes the world. What a privilege we have to be sowers of seeds and take part in the harvest, the, the water plants to help people grow in their faith, take their next step closer to Jesus. Oh Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to live as if everything depends on us, but then rest knowing that the kingdom is yours. But Lord, may us, may we have ears to hear and hearts that are responsive always to your gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing this morning together.